Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Well, good morning once again, True North. Uh, as Kathleen said, my name is Bobby, and I am one part of the teaching team here at the church. And we are in week four of our summer sermon series, and we really have to change how we say that because it's so hard to say summer sermon series. <laughs> um, summer games, where we are taking a look at board games and seeing where we can glean some biblical truth from the concept of these games. And this morning, we are going to be talking about hungry, hungry hippos. We're all familiar with this game, yes, right? You've played this game as a child, or you've played this game with your, your children. Well, in the off chance uh, you don't remember the game, or you know maybe uh, it's been a while, I have brought the original commercial for the game from the 1980s. So maybe this will jar your memory a bit. If we can run that advertisement. I win. Right, so some classic 80s nostalgia right there, right? Old commercial. Um, and it's nice, right? It's a nice commercial. The kids are playing all nicely. It's a nice, calm game of Hungry Hungry Hippos. Because what they're playing in the commercial is actually, as the instruction manual notes, that is the beginner's version of how you play Hungry Hungry Hippos. And in the beginner's version, one child releases one marble into the arena, and all the hippos try to get it. And once a hippo gets one, then the next child calmly releases the next marble in, and they try and get it. And the next kid releases one marble after another, and so on and so forth, until the game's over. But if you're like me, that way to play the game is news to you. Because you never experienced Hungry Hungry Hippos that way. Because you and your little friends, okay, you took that instruction manual and just like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I know how to play this game. And you didn't realize it, but you were actually playing another version of the game that is in the manual, which according to them is much more exciting, Right? You released all the marbles at once. Everybody releases everything into the middle, and then it's just a complete frenzy of chaos and arguments and tears, right? Because everyone starts going as hard as they can. The kids are just pounding on those levers, right? You got the kid, he's just angry with his fist, just banging on the thing, and the hippo's neck is getting stuck out and dislodged, right? You got to grab it and pull it back in. And then you got the other kid, he's just got like mad rhythm, right? He's just going, he's like an Olympic sport. He's like hand over hand, right? Right? I got this, I got this. He's getting all the marbles. And then you're looking over, you're looking over at your buddy next to you, and he's not even releasing all his marbles. He's slow rolling this. He's slow rolling. He's like, he's waiting for the end, right? So you, you're like, no, that's not happening. You start banging on it, letting his marbles into the thing. And then always, right, always, one kid has 90% of the marbles, like right off the get-go. He's got everything. No one else has anything. There's like three marbles left. You think that kid is easing up? Is he easing up? No, he's looking. He's like, no one else has anything. I'm ahead. I'm going to keep going. I want everything. I want it all. He's going hard. And then if you're lucky, in eight seconds, the whole game is over. That's it. Much like life. It just kind of ends. And now you're thinking to yourself, man, Bobby, like, I really didn't have a problem with Hungry Hungry Hippos. Like, I didn't mind that game. But the way you put it, like, I'm done. I'm never playing that game again. My kids aren't playing. We're throwing that game in the trash. <laughs> and the thing is, is that this game, right, it, it's, it's very simple. It's very base. It's very easy to understand. It's why we really don't need the instructions. It takes a few, less than a minute to explain to a kid how to play Hungry Hungry Hippos. They see the setup, the marbles. Like, okay, I get it. I get the concept. All I find I keep 
It's very much like a pinata, right? You don't got to teach kids what to do with a pinata. They get a bag, the thing breaks open, horde descends, they get as much as they can, and there's a bunch of two-year-olds with one Jolly Rancher left in their bag, right? That's how it always goes. We don't, we don't need to explain how to play the game of Hungry Hippos. Get as much as you possibly can and win the game. Which brings us to the topic of our sermon this morning, which is greed. Now, how many of you out there believe that you're a greedy person? You don't have to raise your hands, or I mean, you can raise your hand like this is church. Confess it if you want. I'm not going to judge it. But I've never considered myself a greedy person, ever. Never thought of myself as greedy, right? Greedy is reserved for the ultra-rich. I'm just, I'm average. I'm average when it comes to income. I'm middle class, born and bred, right? I give to my church. I'm not greedy. Greedy's not what I'm about. Greedy is reserved for the millionaires and the billionaires, right? Buffett, Bezos, Gates, Musk. These are the names we throw around when we think of greed, with having too many resources and not sharing enough. And those guys, their ears must ring on a daily basis, right? About how many times their names are invoked in a conversation about finances or greed in a day. But here's the thing. Greed, it's agnostic to how much or how little you have. It doesn't care. You see, you don't have to be rich to be a greedy person. All greed is is an uncontrolled desire for more than is actually needed. And we all struggle with that at some point. But if you were to ask most pastors in this country how many times someone in their congregation had come to them and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with the sin of greed. I feel like I'm a greedy person. I need to deal with this. Most pastors would tell you zero. Zero times. No one's ever come to me and confessed that they were greedy. We're more apt to confess to a myriad of other sins before we admit to ourselves that we might have a problem with greed. And we know from Scripture that Jesus had a lot to say about money and finances and wealth. And in those discussions, what he taught us, he spoke about greed as well. And we're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, which says this. Someone called from the crowd, speaking to Jesus, Teacher, please let my brother, oh, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, I'm going to stop right there for one second. Because I was, I was reading this verse in preparation for this sermon, and I, and I read that part, and I was like, you know, obviously I wasn't there back then. I don't know what went on. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, the disciples, the people who are following Jesus around, like, they've been around him a while. Like, they know what he's about. And this dude comes out of the crowd, and he gets a request, and he's like, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what he owes me. And I can guarantee you the disciples were just like, oh, dude, wrong request. Like, you are probably not going to like the answer to this request. Like, do you know someone that's sick? Are you sick yourself? Maybe we can go that route because this isn't going to go well for you. And Jesus, well, he replies, as Jesus would. He says, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed, Life is not measured by how much you own. 
And then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So a guy asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell my brother, give him what's owed to me. And Jesus replies with this story of a rich man who had a ton of resources and he didn't know what to do with them. And he said, okay, I'm going I'm to save all this stuff up. I'm going to put it away and then I'm just going to sit back and relax. I'm just going to enjoy what I have because I've stored up so much. But then God looks at him and says, hey, th- this was bad idea because you know what? You're, you're going to die tonight, actually, and you're not going to, you don't have years to come. You're not going to be able to enjoy any of this. And we read that parable, and we're like, yeah, okay, you know, this guy, it was, that was, that's a foolish way to live. And it's actually called the parable of the rich fool. But you read this, and you start to realize that this story sounds very, very, very familiar. Because this is how we're taught in society to live how we're taught to focus, right? That's the American dream that's described right there. It's the dream of every American worker. It's my dream as well, right? To work and work and work and save up enough and store up enough so that at some point in time we can just sit back and do nothing. We're obsessed with it. It's all anyone ever talks about at my job. I don't know about yours. The older I get, it comes up more and more in conversation. And it just becomes this singular focus for most of us. And here's the thing. Don't don't get me wrong here. Because you can read this scripture and you could be thinking in your head right now, oh, you know, money is evil. You know, it's wrong to save up. It's wrong to store up. It's wrong to have a, a 401k. And that can't be further from the truth. That is not true whatsoever. In fact, the opposite is true. It's extremely wise to save up some resources and plan for your retirement and do those things. And we have to be careful with Scripture that when we read it, we read everything it's saying, even the little nuances. Because how does Jesus end this parable? He ends with this, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. It just can't be your focus. That's all Jesus is saying. He's saying he's not, this man wasn't evil for storing up. He was, he was wrong for putting all of his eggs into that one basket that he was providing for himself, and that was it. But Jesus says, get your relationship right with God first. Take care of your faith, and then deal with your finances and provision and retirement and all that, thing, and all that stuff. And I'm sure many of you out there understand this too, right? This, is, this isn't like high-level stuff. Like you, you're like, I understand, Bobby. I get it. Like I know God is more important to me than money. There are more important things than money. You know, my health and faith and things are more important with money. I get it. But I've never considered myself a greedy person, and I realized that I have a big problem with greed. And here is the moment I realized it. 
See, a few years ago, <clears throat> I had made some investments. And over the past couple years, those investments have done very well. And they've, like any investment, they've had their ups and downs and their good and bad days. And, but overall, <clears throat> it's been a wise choice, and I have, I've made money. But there was one particular day where the market was just down, crashing, and I was completely upset. I was commiserating with one of my friends because probably Elon Musk tweeted something that would just ruin my whole life. And I was, I'm looking at my account, and I have my screen up, and I have my account balance there, and I'm talking on the phone with a friend who's also in similar investments, and we're just, man, we're just moaning and complaining, like, this is horrible, this is not going to recover, what's going on? And I'm looking at my account balance, and I'm looking at it, and it just dawned on me, right? This was just God making me realize something that I would not otherwise realize myself. I'm looking at that number, and I realized that the number that was on that screen, five years ago, if you came to me and asked me and say, hey, Bob, look, lottery aside and ridiculous money aside, how much money would you need just to, just to feel comfortable, to pay down some debt, put things on an even keel? How much would you need? And the number I, I'm telling you was the exact number that was on that screen. And I was complaining about it. I wasn't satisfied with what was there. I wanted more. And if that's not the definition of greed, I don't know what is. And I tell that story, and I guarantee there's still some of you out there, because it would be me as well, saying that, hey, look I, look, I understand what you're saying, but if God would drop a million, 10 million, 20 million dollars on my lap, like, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll never ask for anything financially again. I would be happy. I would be content. But hear this. If you're not content now, if you're not content and satisfied now with what God has provided you, there is no way you are ever going to be content with more. I don't care if it's 100,000, 500,000, a million, 100 million, whatever it is, you will get to that point and you will still not be content. Look, maybe some of you can, can relate to this. And look, I, I realize it's not everyone, and sometimes finances are up and down, and we all go through struggles. But, you know, for me, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. And if I was to take my paycheck today, if I was to take a stub and I could travel back in time and sit down in front of my 20-year-old self and show him that pay stub, I would have been like, man, you're set. You're good. You got no worries. The next, next 20 years for me, I'm good. So how come if I thought that way back then and I'm here now and I'm in my, my mid-40s here, how come I don't feel settled? How come I don't feel like I have enough? And it's because I haven't learned how to be content. And maybe some of you can relate to that. You see, the enemy of greed and how we stay greed away is with contentment. Simply being satisfied and grateful for what we already have. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, Paul addresses this in his letter to Timothy. He says this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, 
have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And what Paul is saying here is basically mo money, mo problems. Right? There's nothing new under the sun. Before Biggie Smalls ever wrote that song, Paul experienced it. And the thing here is what it's saying is that contentment is the key. Being content is the key. And, and part of the reason that we're not content is because in the back of our mind, although we have faith, although we have trust in God, in the back of our mind, we think that all we see is it. We think that this is it, right? We only go around once. We only get to live once. So I need to take those vacations. I need to see those places I want to see. I need to eat at all those restaurants. I need to get that house I want, ever, always wanted. I need to drive that car that I always want to drive because I only get one chance at this. You only live once, as we constantly say. But as believers, as people who put our faith in Jesus, we know that that's not true. We know that this life is not as important as the one that's to come. That one day we'll get to live again. And that is where our focus should be. Not on the temporal and everything that exists now. Paul even says... This is how the world behaves. And when he says world, this is how people who have no faith, who do not believe in God, this is how they live their lives. You cannot live your life this way because you know better. You know that there's more to come than is here right now. And sometimes for me, like, I can be content. I have good days. I have days I wake up and I look around and I look at my house and my family and the provisions I have and I'm extremely grateful. I'm like, God, thank you so much. I don't need another, another thing. Thank you for being so good to me. And there are other days I wake up and I look at my finances and I'm looking at my 401 and my stocks and all sorts of planning and do I have enough for my kids' college? Am I going to have enough for the future? And then I start to worry and then I'm like, I have to do more. I have to invest more. I have to get better. I have to get more and obtain more because it's all on me. And some days I can go back and forth between those two things, greed and contentment within the same day, and I have to constantly remind myself, God's got you. God is enough. It's not all on me, and I can be content with where I am. So a bunch of you might be saying to yourself, right, well, I, you know, I have a lot of resources, right? We run the gamut on Long Island is where we are financially, and many of you are also probably retired, you might think to yourself, oh, you know, this, is, this message is kind of, kind of beating me up. But nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't be wealthy and be a believer. Not whatsoever. In fact, Paul addresses it, and he tells Timothy and instructs him how to instruct wealthy Christians within the church. It's not an issue. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Paul says this, "'Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money.'" which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You're allowed to enjoy your money. But tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures, a good foundation for the future, so that they may experience true life. And so what this is saying here, right, is that greed, greed is a sin. Greed's a serious sin, as serious as, as any other sin. And because 
A lot of greed can stem from wealth and resources. When we have that wealth and resources as a believer, it's also a very serious responsibility. And if you're like me, you're also saying to yourself, yeah, I get it. Like, if, God, if I could just get all these resources and, 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 and have some wealth, like, I would do the right thing with it. I'd do the right thing by God. I'd do the right thing by people. I'd do some good with that money. Like, I would be the person to do that, and that might be true, but I hope if you're saying that to yourself right now, that you're content, completely content with your situation now. Because if you're not content now, I don't believe that God is going to entrust you with more right? If we learn to be content now with what we have, then God says, okay, look, I can trust you with more because I know where your heart is. Your focus isn't on these things, so I can bless you with these things. And the flip side of that is also a concern, right? If you're not content now where you are, what if what you have is taken away? Because that happens too, right? We go, we go through seasons where we lose money or we're not in the same status, but as Paul says, he's learned to be content with much and content with little, so if you're content with where you are and you, you, you take a hit and you take a drop for some reason, you're not going to be devastated because your trust will be in God and not your own resources. And there's one more portion of Scripture that I would like to, to share with you this morning. And before I share that, that piece of the Scripture, I have to preface it a little bit. Um, when I read the Bible and the teachings of Jesus and the disciples and the apostles and their writings and, you know, all the authors of the Bible, what I love about Scripture, the inspired Word of God, is that it always cuts right to the ultimate end. It will always take things to the heart. It will cut down right to the bone. And in 1 Corinthians, where we're going to read, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. And they had a problem in the church. They had a few problems. But one of the main problems they had was they had lawsuits with each other. As fellow believers in Christ and, and, and attending the, the same congregation, they were suing each other over land and property and money, whatever it was. And they were bringing these things to the outside courts. And Paul's like, look, you can't, this is, not, this is not how we're to conduct ourselves. We can't do that, right? You guys need to be able to settle these matters here amongst yourselves. Settle them amongst yourselves. You can't be in the courts. It's, it's not a good reflection on you. It's not a good reflection on the church. It's not a good reflection on who Jesus is. So just work it out amongst yourselves. But then what Paul does here is he takes it even a step further. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, Paul continues... Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. How many of you are at the point where you're okay with being cheated? <laughs> I'm not there. I am not there. Believe me, I'm the guy, if a company owes me five bucks, like, I'm writing letters to everybody in the CEO. Like, I am getting that money that is owed to me back. Be cheated? No way. No one is going to cheat me. I'm going to make sure that I get what is owed to me. But this here, this type of faith, to allow yourself to be cheated for the sake of peace, man, that is like, it seems like master-level faith, right? That's a faith level that I would love to get to. And the thing is, is that 
That's the type of faith that's available to us as believers in Christ. Like, you can have this type of faith. If you can trust in God, you can get to a point where you can trust in God so much, so much, that you know that he's got your back to the point that, man, even if it means someone's going to get one over on you, for the sake of peace, you can just let it go. You can let it go, even if someone owes you money. You can just be like, I'm good. God knows. Because greed, among other things, is just a real lack of faith. That's all it is. It's a lack of a trust in God that he can provide all you need and that it's not all on you to provide for yourself. And here's the thing. Hungry, hungry hippos, it's a kid's game. It's base level. It doesn't really need to be explained. Everyone understands the game. Children are the ones that play hungry, hungry hippos. It's the, the game is marketed to them, right? No one as an adult is playing hungry, hungry hippos. I mean, you might with your kids, right, or your grandkids. But what I'm saying is you're not inviting your friends over, popping open a good bottle of wine and breaking out the hungry, hungry hippos board, right? Nobody's doing I mean, if you are, uh, we should probably talk... Um, or maybe you have something to teach me, but no one, no one is really doing that, right? Because it's, it's base level. It's a base level game. It's like 101. We all know how to be greedy. We all know how to want more and get more for ourselves, right? But as Christians, as believers in Christ, we have to put our trust in God that he knows what we need. And we just battle against that by being thankful and being content with what we have. And the best part is, is if you're like me like that and you're feeling a little convicted, like, oh, you know, maybe I, I have been greedy, it's fine. I'm still wrestling with it. I still go in and out of it. But the best part is, is all you have to do is go before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for just wanting more than I need and being greedy and being thankful for what you already have. And God is just apt to forgive you and say, it's all right, carry on. And he'll forgive you again and again and again. And my prayer for everyone this morning is that we can get to that point of contentment where we're satisfied with what we have. Don't you want to be content? Don't you want to be at an even keel where you're like, I'm unaffected by this stuff? That's where I want to be. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Jesus, Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for Sunday. Thank you for the chance to just hear from your word, Lord, and to speak to our hearts through it, God. Jesus, I pray for all of us here that we would just rely on you for our day-to-day, -day, God. Rely on you for our financial provision, God, and not that we don't need to do anything ourselves, but that we can co-labor with you, God. That you have us no matter what, God. And I pray that we can... Lord, even get to that level of faith where we rely on you so much that it doesn't matter if someone cheats us because we understand, Lord, you have our back, Jesus. May it be so in my life and everyone here, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. 
or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.